Pearson Rabbit story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with a little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. Let's try a thought experiment. You're in the middle of residency. You have one of those thoughts of quitting that we've all thought, we've all had, but you actually follow through with it. Chelsea Turgeon actually walked away. So let's hear how it happened and what life looks like on the other side. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a show by me, Dr. Bradley Block, and this is a practical guide for practicing physicians where we interview experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Dr. Chelsea Turgeon, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So the tagline for the show is everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. And so it strays a little bit from that. And the reason I'm saying that is because How you ended up in the position you are now is you were in the middle of residency. You were in the middle of your OBGYN residency and you left. And so one of the things that maybe they shouldn't be teaching us in residency is how to leave, right? It doesn't seem in line with their principles. It's like taking a class in high school, how to leave high school. Uh, How to drop out of high school. (laughs) Maybe it isn't in that direction, but still, we have a lot to learn from, from you and your experiences on what you've done and learned since then. So I think the biggest question is like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and get into that. And I'll just walk you a little bit back before residency to sort of give you that background of where I was at at the time. So, you know, I was somebody who I was always interested in psychology. I was like a weird nerd about psychology from it. Even a young age, I would have my parents like drop me off at Books A Million and I would go through and read and like peruse the self-help aisles when I was like 15. And I would also be studying, but I just had this interest in psychology and human potential and like why people do what they do and behavior and habit change and all of those things and was just really interested in that topic. All and the so stuff when we I love went on to the college, show, actually, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's going to be things that fit. So it's going to be great. So I studied psychology in college. That was my major. It was psychology. And I was trying to figure out what to do with it afterwards. And in my mind, there were sort of two pathways. There was me, you know, getting a PhD and going into sort of clinical psychology, or there was going to medical school and becoming a psychiatrist. As a impressionable young college student, I would present my options to other people and get their opinion on what I should do. And I was met with, anytime I mentioned the idea of medical school, I was met with these like, oh, you're going to be a doctor. Like, that's so impressive. And so it's something that I didn't really realize I was doing this at the time. But you look back in hindsight and you see like, I was very influenced by 
other people. You know, I wanted my career to be impressive. I was looking for significance. I wanted to matter to other people. And so going down this pathway, it seemed to be like the quickest way to have everyone's like approval and have that sort of sense of achievement and personal satisfaction, I guess. And so I started down that pathway, ended up going to medical school. And the first two years were okay. I, you know, I really like school and studying and all of that. So I was fine there. And I got to the hospital and I just realized like I didn't want to do psychiatry because I didn't really like the doctor-patient relationship there in the current model of the healthcare system. I didn't like how it was a little bit not antagonistic, but there's a sense of like you're doing this mental status exam and you're not really communicating with the patient that like I'm observing you in all of these ways. And I'm not really relating to you. I felt like it wasn't as relatable of a relationship as other specialties. And so I decided not to go into psychiatry. And then the only specialty that felt kind of remotely interesting to me was OBGYN because I did like that. Like if you're just seeing pregnant people, the patients are okay. And then they're going to be better. They're going to have good outcomes. Obviously, when there's bad outcomes, they're really bad. But there's a lot of just, you know, good outcomes, pretty quick problem to solution, like they're pregnant, nine months later, they have a baby. You know, mental health problems, things are very, you know, slow moving, getting them, helping them to improve. You know, it's interesting that you said that about the specialty of psychiatry, because I was just speaking to a psychiatrist who said like, oh, they've got an Instagram page where they do some advocacy. And the fact that their patients have access to that allows the patient to view them as something other than just their psychiatrist, which is something that's not advised by their specialty. And so the fact that they can even be viewed by their patients as a whole and complete person is discouraged. So it's really, that's exactly what you were saying. And it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true, which is just crazy. I would think that the therapeutic relationship would be better if they were able to see you as a whole person. That works better in other specialties. Like, oh, my doctor gets it because my doctor also has back pain or my doctor also, you know, had a miscarriage or my doctor also so in that specialty, yeah, it's like putting up these barriers is important to them. I have mm -hmm. no expertise in psychiatry, so I'm certainly not going to contradict them. I'm going to stay firmly in my lane as an otolaryngologist, but it's exactly what you're saying. You're like walled off. Your person is walled off and you just yeah. kind of like treat them like that. Right. And yeah, and like you said, maybe there's benefits in that. Maybe there's, you know, some positive reason for doing that. But that's not how I exactly. wanted to interact with people. And so that became pretty apparent early on. And then, yeah, ended up choosing OBGYN. But like the truth of why I chose that is it's because it's the specialty I hated the least because I really didn't like any of them. <laughs> right? These are some like, red flags that are starting to develop. And then we get to fourth year and, you know, I've gone into matching an OBGYN, all of that. But as fourth year unfolds in my medical school, especially, we had a lot of free time fourth year. And it was the first time in, since I was an adult that I felt like I could breathe and that I could explore other interests. And so I started getting into hiking and traveling and spirituality and personal growth and just started becoming this like more complete person that I felt not that it's impossible to be that way during training, but the way I approached training, I was very all or nothing, very all in. And I didn't give myself space to be a person outside of like just being a student. And so I started to an adult. Really? That's what was happening. No, I mean, I think yeah, the fact yeah, that you go yeah. from college where like a lot of our needs are taken care of and handled to medical school, which is often just a continuation of college, like the opportunity to grow and turn into really an adult is a little stunted. And it sounds like that was mm -hmm. what was happening to you as you were becoming a more complete person. I love that. I hadn't really thought of it like that, where it's like, yeah, I actually was becoming more of an adult. And it's like when I think back now on like when I made the decision to go to med school and like 
you know, signed up to take on all of this student loan debt. I was 21 years old. I was very young when I got into medical school, when I like started that process. And it's like I didn't really know. Actually, I was 20 when I got into med school. I was 21 when I started. And so it's like I don't think I really understood what I was getting myself into. Like on paper, I did. But experientially, I didn't really understand what I was committing myself to. I don't think any of us do. I don't think any of us do. Right. And also when you're choosing your specialty, like you really don't. You've got a couple of weeks of it as a medical student and maybe you have some personal experience or something like that. Most of us don't even have that. You have no concept of what the day-to-day life is like, nor of the gravity of responsibility of what you're taking on and what that's like. So we don't know, even though in our country, like we're older than in other countries. In other countries, you decide that track when you're going to college. So you're like 17 when you're making this decision as opposed to us, which are like, you know, 2021, which is a sizable difference. But still, I think none of us really know what we're getting yourself into. And you made an excellent point about how you decided to be in medicine, how you decided to go to medical school was like other people's opinions. And we use that so often to help us decide what's important, what's the right thing to do rather than turning inward because you know, often turning inward, it's not so clear. And yet if you're hearing the same thing over and over, like then it makes it like, oh, the choice is pretty clear. I really should be a doctor since all these people really think that would be the right thing, not necessarily for you, but like the right thing for anyone to choose. So I think it's, you know, our values, we really need to establish what our values and what our preference, you know, all this stuff. And as physicians, we're like, I think a lot of us, you know, I made this decision when I was a kid. Who lets a six-year-old make their career decision for them? That's a terrible idea. Okay, so then you realize like, okay, so you chose OBGYN because it was the one that you liked or disliked the least, right? And so now you're in residency and what's happening? Yeah, and so it's like even right before I was going to residency, I just had this feeling of like impending doom leading up to it. Just this sense like that I was on this conveyor belt that I didn't want to be on anymore. And it was like, moving me at top speeds towards this like trash compactor or something. And there was no exit ramps and it wasn't anything I could articulate. You know, everyone was like, oh, you're just nervous about starting residency. It's your first real job. But it just felt like this sense of like, this is not my path. This is not what I'm meant to be doing with my life. And I was starting to find all these other things I was really interested in. But pursuing residency was preventing me from having the time or energy to do any of the other things that I wanted to do. I start residency sort of under in that state of like, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like I don't really want to be here in the first place. Yeah. And so intern year is just kind of like a shit show, like everyone expects it to be. And, you know, I had a, a low period during intern year where things weren't going well. And I made the decision to stick it out through intern year because I didn't want to leave. Like, even though pretty early on is maybe like November of intern year that I realized like this is not what I want to be doing on some level. But I didn't want to leave on a low note. I didn't want to leave because I wasn't good at it yet. I didn't want to leave because it was hard. I wanted to just like stick through until I felt some level of competence. Obviously, as an intern, you're never going to be entirely competent. But I wanted to have some level of like, I know what I'm doing. I'm not leaving because it's hard or because I'm bad at it. I'm leaving because this is not right for me. And so I sort of got to that point at the end of my first year of intern year. Like met with my chief residents. Again, I had met with them in November, kind of telling them where I was at. 
we made the decision for me to keep going. I met with them again at the end of the year. And I was like, okay, I still really don't want to keep going. I really don't want to do second year. And then you just sort of get convinced to keep going. You sort of get convinced to not listen to yourself and that like, oh, these are the reasons that it's hard, but it'll get better when this happens or it'll get, and we do this all through our training, right? It'll get better once you pass step one. It'll get better once you match. It'll get better once you graduate. It'll get better once you finish. You know, we just all the way through our training. And then once you're attending, it'll be better. And so I was just sort of going along with all of that. And then there just hit a point. So I did two back-to-back rotations that just took everything out of me. I did OB nights where you're doing, as a second year, you're doing emergency C-sections. I remember I did seven in a 24-hour shift. One time we were at a very high volume hospital and just, that was just taking so much out of me. I did not like being in the OR either. That was not where I thrived. And then Gyne-Onc was my next rotation that I did. And that was just so heart-wrenching and also exhausting. And so I was getting emotionally drained, also physically drained from that. And by the end of those two back-to-back rotations, I was at a point where I like was at the state of burnout where I like couldn't get out of bed. Like my alarm would go off and I was like, I don't know how to make myself move to get out of bed, to go into work. People just started to notice, I think, like my program director and they knew that I was kind of on the fence about even sticking around. So I met with my program director. You know, we had this whole conversation. I decided to take a five-week leave of absence to just kind of reset myself, to recover from my burnout and to come to a place of a decision about what I wanted to do going forward. And so I took these five weeks off. I didn't do what I did before of like polling everyone about what I should do. I took a totally different approach this time. I did a lot of journaling, meditation, writing to my intuition, doing yoga, just sort of like coming back to myself, just connecting back to who I am, my values, like you talked about, like, who do I want to be? What's important to me? I went on this solo camper van road trip of Utah, which was so fun. And, you know, just having that perspective of like getting out and being in nature, that was really helpful. And by the end of it, it was really clear to me that I didn't want to go back. Like no part of me wanted to go back. And I had this nagging feeling of, I want to go explore the world. I want to travel the world. I want to use my creativity in some way. I thought I was going to just be like a blogger, like a travel blogger kind of thing. I wanted to just explore my interests. I wanted to just start over, basically. I wanted to scrap everything that I had been doing and start over as a new person, essentially. And so I made the decision not to go back to residency. I turned in my resignation. We negotiated like a three-month sort of part-time contract for me where I was still helping out with some of the sort of like admin, like clinic tasks and things that like other residents wouldn't have to cover it yeah. for my absence, but I was able to just sort of help out in different ways. And that gave you a little and bit then, of an income too. And I actually, the way I worked it out was amazing. Like I worked part-time, but I had the same income. Oh. So I don't know how I did that, but apparently I had good negotiating abilities yeah, yeah. and that gave me time to figure out what my next steps were so that once the three months were over, then I could just go ahead and start my next thing because as a resident, I didn't have like heaps of savings by any means. And so it was like I needed income the whole time. And so yeah, I ended up at the end of those three months, I had a job teaching English in South Korea. And so I just took this one-way Wait, flight. Hold on, hold on. Because we're, there's, there's, <laughs> we're not there yet. Because you quit residency. I did, Like yeah. that is a huge deal. As you said, you felt like you were heading towards a trash compactor, which I appreciate the Star Wars reference, even if it wasn't meant as a Star Wars reference. It wasn't, wasn't meant. No, okay. But the way I envision it is like you're jumping off a moving train. The train is, mm-hmm. you know, you're headed towards this destination, which as you said earlier, you know, you never arrive at a destination. There are stops along the way, but the train just keeps going. And you just, you jump off the train. Doing that, tell me about some of the conversations that you had with like your friends, your family, your program director, your chairperson, 
Tell me how some of these conversations went. Yeah. And so I think nobody expected me to actually go through with this. <laughs> I think people were like, oh, you know, everyone talks about quitting. Everyone loves a good quitting story. But when it comes down to it, nobody really expects you to go through with it. No. And especially me, because I was the person who this is this was not like me in a sense, although it actually was it, the the me that everyone knew from the med school world, from residency. That was not the real me, right? That was the me that was really in this like overachieving place, thinking I had to sort of achieve my way to love and belonging and all of that good stuff. That me, like the med school me was very, like I was top of my class. I like interviewed at Harvard and Yale for residency. I had a great step score. I was always studying. Like I was the person who was like on the straight and narrow. Yes, I was like the gunner. If those are the words you want to use, like that, I mean, I was a very kind gunner. I wasn't like, you weren't undermining other people's studying in order to get higher ranked in the class. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But you did well. You did well. By our measures of academic success, you were successful. You were doing everything you were supposed to do and doing it really well. So that wasn't behind. It wasn't like you were struggling so much academically that you just couldn't handle it and you quit. You quit because that that was the, the that was not in the realm of possibility. This was completely different. And actually, you have my admiration and respect for quitting because that has to that has to have been just such a challenging decision. And that's why I want to actually explore these these conversations a little more, because I think it'll flesh out that whole experience and doing it really well. So that wasn't behind. It wasn't like you were struggling so much academically that you just couldn't handle it and you quit. You quit because that was not in the realm of possibility. This was completely different. And actually, you have my admiration and respect for quitting. That has to have been just such a challenging decision. And that's why I want to actually explore these conversations a little mm -hmm. more, because I think yeah. it'll flesh out that whole experience. Yeah. And so for the longest time, I didn't think I could quit because so like, you know, I started having these thoughts like November of intern year. And then it was just like it went on. It wasn't until November of second year that I actually turned in the resignation. Right. And so during that whole year, I have this back and forth going on. And one of those things that's really keeping me stuck is feeling like, well, I have loans. I mean, not a ton compared to other people, but I have like $120,000 of student loans. How would I pay those back if I wasn't a physician? Like, what What else would I do? How am I going to do yeah, that? There's no and PSLF so I have, <laughs> for not practicing. Well, I think there are ways that you could do public student, like, I think there would be ways I could do it that are not actually Positioning. involving yeah, being a yeah, doctor. Yeah. But that was not what I was going to. I wasn't going to leave and seek a life of freedom yeah. only to not be free because I'm trying to do PSLF. And, and like so that's, that's not the vibe. What either. I see, like when I look at your Instagram page, right, it's full of you like hiking and exploring the world and traveling. And like, how is that even a realistic possibility if you leave in the middle of residency? With all of these loans, with like the physician salary, like you could find you finish residency, you do like telemedicine or something. You're not earning as much as you would as in person, but still, it's like you're still have that physician income. Like, I just don't see how yeah. you've turned this into a possibility without it being like, well, no, I come from money. And so like the income's right. Yeah. So like help our listeners. We're going to do that in a little bit. We still haven't had the conversation <laughs> with the program director and the chairman, but then we'll get to this life you've managed to build for yourself. So program director conversation, I just told her like, I'm not, 
I never even actually said I was quitting, which is funny, but I was like, I am not excited to come back. This is while I was on my leave of absence. I'm not excited to come back. Thankfully, she took that as what it was, which is I'm quitting. And then she got the balls in motion. But I remember one of the things she did say that was trying to like, she was just speaking her reality around that was, wow, that's going to be really hard for your co-residents. And I totally appreciate where she's coming from with that. But in my mind, I was like, it actually, it doesn't have to be because the way it is correct because of the way the hospital system is set up, the way residency training is set up, that when one person leaves, it gives the burden to everyone else. But that doesn't have to be the way that it is. And there's so many other options for how my absence could have been covered, especially because I gave them three whole months of a leeway to like, you know, figure out a system for covering all that, whether that's just reducing certain resident responsibilities to begin with, taking certain, you know, there's like, there's a lot of creative solutions because I don't like the idea that like this sort of like we're in this trauma bonded commiserating pact around if I don't suffer, you suffer more. Yeah. And one person's freedom means pain for other people. I just think all of that is a bunch of nonsense that we've bought into. And while that is the current reality, it doesn't have to be the forever reality. And so that's just like one thing that I know makes it hard for people to leave is because of how it'll impact other people. And I just ultimately decided like, that's not my problem. Yeah, no, totally right. It is not your problem. It's not your problem. You could be re replaced with a couple of advanced practice providers, but it's going to cost the hospital a whole lot of money because replacing one resident, it means you have to hire like two or three full-time advanced practice providers in order to fill that void. And then the hospital isn't getting that extra money from Medicare. So that is mm -hmm. a yeah. financial problem. That is the hospitals and not yours. Correct. Now they might but they make it everyone else's. Gap. They yeah. might choose to not fill that gap and then put the work on the other residents. But that's their decision. Not your problem. Yeah, that was one thing that I know keeps a lot of people from sort of making decisions for themselves, even if it's not in residency. There's like with partners and like, oh, they'd have to take more call if I left. And so there's just a lot of that sort of shifting the burden onto each other, which I think is just a problematic setup to begin with. So that was one thing I sort of had to overcome. I had to overcome the financial piece in order to feel good about that. And that was a mental shift for me. We can talk more about like the practical parts of it. But for me, the mental shift was there has to be another way to make a six-figure salary that doesn't require me living like this. That doesn't require me sacrificing everything that like I, I knew I had enough sense of self-efficacy and sense of like, I'm smart. I know I can figure things out. I'm scrappy if I need to be. Like I, I had all of these, like I had self-belief that I could figure things out. And I started looking online for other role models and people who like were building up online businesses. And I was like, if these people can figure this out, why wouldn't I be able to figure that out? That doesn't, I mean, if you it didn't make sense to yes. me that I couldn't figure it if out. If you were applying for an interviewing at residency positions at Harvard and Yale, then you clearly, you know, one, like I said in when I was on your podcast, is that we are selected for not the ability to be good doctors, but for people who can grind through the work and get it done. So one, you are clearly academically smart enough to be at those institutions. And two, you just, you know, being any physician, it means that you can grind through work and you can figure, figure stuff out. But that doesn't mean that like you can instantly start making a six figure salary. Most people don't start out. They start off with five figure salaries and then they slowly build over time, right? You don't just like hop into it unless of course you have some professional, you know, credentials or whatever behind you. Right. So how did you yeah. end up 
doing that? How did I end up building? Building your business. Yeah. Like, where did you start? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Where did you go? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So starting off, I thought I wanted to be a travel blogger. As I'm still like working those final three months in residency, I take this travel blogging course. I buy my domain name, the turquoisetraveler.com. I start writing little travel blogs about my travels around the U.S. And I realized like, I realized very early on that like that's not going to be an income stream right away. That's, and that's not um, going to be a <laughs> six figure in- income stream. It can be. It definitely can be, right. especially now, like w- depending on how you monetize it. There's many different ways to monetize a travel blog these days or any sort of blog. There's lots of ways to do that. But I so I took the course. I realized I didn't like the ways of monetizing from blogging yeah. in general because there was just, it felt like a lot links. of <laughs> it just felt disconnected. It felt like you're behind a screen doing things and then you're living your life and talking about it. But there it, there wasn't the connection. And, you know, one of the reasons I initially was thinking like psychology or something like that was there's a lot of in-person connection, not in-person necessarily, but there's like real-time person-to-person connection. And so that's something that was really important to me. I realized, you know, I started my blog, I started blogging, I realized, one, that it's not going to make money right away. And so I was like, I need a way to make money. I also want to be able to travel. And I want I want to be abroad. I want I don't want to like not be stuck in the States, which is also weird because I wasn't a traveler. <laughs> like, just to be clear, at that point, I had been to Nicaragua for one week on like a medical mission trip and I hadn't traveled. So like, where was this coming from? Unsure. But I knew that I wanted it was coming from my intuition. It was telling me like I needed to get out and see the world, although there wasn't logical evidence for why I should be doing that. And so I decided I found out about teaching English abroad, right? Because I was Googling things like, okay, how to make money while living abroad, jobs for living abroad. And then the cool thing about that is you don't need like a English teaching degree. All you need is the ability to natively speak English. And then you get this online certification called a TEFL, teach English as a foreign language. So I got my TEFL certification. I got a job teaching English in South Korea, was able to essentially make the same salary that I was making as a resident. When you factor in, like, I was getting room and board and all of those things. And then I also ended up getting, like, a you get a pretty significant bonus if you finish out the whole year because a lot of teachers quit. And so there was all of that. Right. There so is the ability to grind through work. Like, I can finish. I know I can finish. <laughs> yes. And so I did that, you know, got this job teaching English in South Korea. And on the side, I'm figuring out all the ins and outs of building an online business. So, like, you said, you were listening to podcasts to and from work when you initially started off as an attending. And I was doing the same thing. I was riding the local bus in Korea to and from the schools. And I was listening to all of these podcasts about building an online business. During that time, I also decided I wanted to see about coaching because I realized, you know, it's sort of a way to do what I wanted to do from psychology, but without having to go back to school. And so I was doing a coaching certification and I was just learning all about marketing, SEO, building a business, all of these things on the side. And then that was sort of year one of me just laying down the foundation and figuring out how to start building a business. Because all of a sudden you had all this free time because (laughs) teaching English in South Korea, not as time consuming as being an OBGYN resident. Correct. So suddenly you're like, oh my God, I've got all this free time to like do stuff and figure things out. You know what blew my mind the most? It was starting off that year. I was like, I have every single weekend free. (laughs) For the whole year. And like all the other people teaching, they it was maybe their first job out of college or, you know, something like that. And I just remember being like, guys, we have every single weekend. They're like, okay, what? Like, (laughs) why is this exciting? But for me, it was like that was my first taste of freedom was having the ability 
to plan out anything I wanted for any weekend for the whole year. That's it. That's all I needed. (laughs) That's a huge weight right here. That's like, oh, yeah, what I can do with my life with all these weekends. Okay. So then you you started building this this coaching business. And so how did you decide who you were going to be coaching, right? So through trial and error. So I initially wasn't working with healthcare professionals. And I think that was one, because I didn't want to be talking to healthcare professionals for the first like two years out of residency. Like I didn't want to be associated with the hospital or be talking. Like I wanted to sort of distance myself from that world for a bit. And so for the first two years, I was just life coaching. I think why I was saying I was doing like young professionals, helping you guys find purpose or whatever. And so it's really like, I think another, I don't know, thing that people struggle with is when they're starting an online business, thinking they have to have it all figured out right away. Like, I need to know my niche. I need to know this. I need to know that. And yes, it's good to have your first guess, but then you just get started and then you iterate and then you move from there. And so that's what I did is I just put out my first, my first sort of launching of my business. I did this challenge called Pursue Your Purpose. And I had like, I reached out to a travel blogger who's actually pretty famous and I asked her to promote it for me on her Instagram. And she did. And I got like over a hundred people signed up. I got my first for clients, I just that's when my business started. And I was living in Vietnam at the time. And so my expenses for daily living were very low when I was doing that strategically. Yeah. Where in uh, Viet- Da Nang, in Vietnam. Nang. Okay. Yeah. And so I was able to sort of leverage that. So I didn't have to have a day job anymore. I wasn't teaching English like in person. I was doing some English teaching online as a side thing, but I just had more time and space to build up the business. And so I'm starting to do that. I'm starting to coach people. And then I slowly start niching down into career coaching specifically because I realize everyone's coming to me as I share my story on social media, as I talk about what I've been through, people start coming to me for career-specific kind of a focus. Like, how do you start doing the career you really want to do? I niched into career coaching. And then a few months later, like early 2021, I niched into healthcare professionals specifically because I was just paying attention to who, what are people coming to me for? <laughs> Who's coming to me? Who's relating to me? Like, you just sort of pay attention to this feedback. And then at that point, I switched my... Instagram handle and everything to Coach Chelsea MD because before that it was the Turquoise Traveler still because <laughs> I was like doing like tra- still a little travel blogging and life coaching and all of that and so then yeah 2021 that's when I started the podcast that's when I wrote my book Residency Dropout and that's when I was like niching into healthcare professionals and then 2022 was just building on that and that's when I had my first six figure year in business and that's when it like. I was like, I did it. <laughs> I like made my first six figures. I like, you know, have very low overhead as somebody in a service-based business. So yeah, that's kind of how it's been progressing there. And the business model makes sense because you live in a place that is low cost of living, but because you are doing it online, your client base are in people where the income, where the cost of living is significantly higher. So you can charge more, right? Like if you're, Correct. you can't do that the opposite. <laughs> right, you can't live in a high yeah. cost of living place and then do online coaching for people who are in a low cost of living. The thing that you mentioned, like when you first started coaching, you coached people on the thing that you had struggled yourself with and figured out, right? Which is like purpose, right? You had done the thing that you know most people would have found impossible, which was you quit residency, and so the being able to help people through those similarly challenging life moments. <clears throat> where you come in with your own story with significant gravity to it, I think really gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot of credibility, you know, and then, and then your yeah. business has happened, built, you know, built from there. 
which is amazing. Yeah. And that's that's nothing I thought I would be doing when I was leaving residency. So it was never like, I'm going to leave residency and then teach other people how to find their purpose in life. Because that was not on my radar as something that I had mastered or done, right? Like, I was like, I'm going to leave residency and maybe I'll like life coach people on how to just like make better life decisions. I don't know. I really wasn't sure what I was going to coach people on. And so it's like, you don't have to know exactly what it's all going to be before you get started, because that was not on my radar as something that I could be doing at that point. We're going to be wrapping up shortly. And so there was one thing that you wanted to discuss on the show that you've learned from your coaching that you wanted to share with the audience. And so it was about managing your stress. So can you tell us just what you've learned about managing your own stress and helping your clients to do the same? Yes. And it's so interesting because it comes down to things that we did learn about in med school, but we just didn't learn how to apply them to our own self. And so you probably, Brad, you probably know about like the chronic massage. What do you call it when you're like, Visibating. bear down? Yeah, those. Okay, so those sorts of things. Vals- those are always. Uh, sorry, to- Valsalva, Valsalva, Visavigla. Valsalva, yes. Visavigla is passing out. Passing Vals- out, passing out. Yes, <laughs> Valsalva. That's what it is. Great, okay, great. <laughs> we're doing great over here. It's fine. It's been a while since med school. Those sorts of maneuvers are things that help people shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And so, essentially, there's ways that we can shift our nervous system from that state of sympathetic to parasympathetic. And the reason that's important is because a lot of us, and this is something we need to do, not just in an acute sense, but everywhere, a lot of us are experiencing so much stress, so much burnout. And a big part of that can be tracked, traced back to our nervous systems are in overdrive from spending so much time in the hospital, in the clinic, in these sort of high stress, life or death, high stakes environments where there's a lot of maybe not for you as much anymore, but I just remember being in the L&D war. There's just so much chaos going on. So your nervous system is triggered and activated all the time. And we don't, we're not taught practices to shift our nervous system from that heightened sympathetic state into the parasympathetic. And even if we think we know practices, we're not given space or time to do that. And there's not importance placed upon it. And so it can be things that are simple as like box breathing exercises. It can be tapping is the one that I like to do a lot where you're doing um, emotional freedom technique. You're sort of just tapping on different parts of your body. Yoga, there's just lots of different practices that we can do to shift ourselves from the sympathetic state to parasympathetic. And the reason that's important is because without doing that, we just our nervous system starts to fry out and we can go into burnout much more easily. And the diving reflex, the diving reflex. So you just like, what is that? That you stick your head in a, like a bath of cold water. <laughs> yes. Yes. Dude, cold showers are like the jam. They actually do. That's great. I prefer modern conveniences like hot water. I like hot just, water I for regular it. showers. <laughs> but for the for, for your nervous system, you just do a minute under cold water. It's not a big deal. Oh, you know what? When you had <laughs> spoken earlier about, you know, um, figuring out how to an online business, one of the things that came to mind was Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. Right. <clears throat> and that's like kind of when the Internet was in its infancy and online businesses were in their infancy. But one thing that he taught and then he pivoted to like every he talks about everything as if, as if he's he's an expert. I feel like he got a little off the rails. So he really pushed for cold showers. And when I was listening to him, which I don't do anymore, I tried it and it was just it was it seemed like I was just making myself miserable with no clear physiologic benefit. Yes. If you do it in the morning, it like wakes you up in the morning and it's, and there is something with like the diving reflex there to like splash yourself with, with cold water, I think, but you're like, 
I don't know. Is it worth it? Because it's just so miserable. It's just so miserable. Mm. Yeah. And honestly, I've noticed like dudes have a lot harder time with it. <laughs> with the cold showers thing. I see it like I've introduced it to a lot of people. And usually it's the dudes who are like, oh, God. And like, because it's like a very like you have to surrender into the cold water. Oh. You can't tense against it. Yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. like, you know, bro it out. Like you have to just like <laughs> surrender into it. <laughs> As Wim Hof, Wim Hof, the Iceman, the godfather mm-hmm. of that says, he says, breathe, mother effer. So you're just supposed to breathe because everyone's going to like tense up, as you said, and hold their breath. Yeah. You got to find a way to yeah. keep breathing. Okay. That doesn't mean I'm going to yeah. start doing it, but, you know, maybe to I'll try it again. His maybe own. I'll try. <laughs> okay. If people want to find you online, if people want to follow you um, and hear your podcast and maybe hire you as a coach, where do people find you? Yeah. So my podcast is the Life After Medicine podcast. And then my website is coachchelsmd.com. That's my Instagram handle as well. And then I also have a Facebook group, the Life After Medicine Community. And that's a place where you can come and connect with other like-minded healthcare professionals. And what is that book one more time? Oh, the book. Yeah, I wrote the book Residency Dropout. And that is you can either get it for free from my website in like a PDF version, or you can buy it for like $3 on Amazon if you want to read it on your Kindle. Fantastic. Well, Thank you for what you're doing for our profession. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast player. I'm also available for medical legal consulting and keynote speaking if you're interested, or to just give us some feedback on the show, email me at brad at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com. I'll see you next week. The ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers.